Our scripture is taken this morning from John 17, verses 20 to 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, once again, we welcome you here to Weston Park Baptist Church and our virtual services well into the month of November now. Uh, actually, next week we begin Advent, so we're beginning to look towards uh, Christmas. It's hard to believe. But again, we trust that uh, you are doing the best you can in these days uh, with rising numbers again of COVID. This uh, issue does not want to go away, so we have to keep looking to God and drawing strength from him uh, in the midst of it all. Today we uh, finish the Upper Room Discourse. We've been looking at John chapter 13 through 17, known as the Upper Room Discourse, one of Christ's longest uh, teaching uh, sessions in the New Testament. So much there for us to understand. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the final chapter, chapter 17, which is a prayer, the longest prayer in the New Testament, known as Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. And to review, with the first uh, five verses, one to five, Jesus talks about his own relationship with the Father. That's where the prayer begins. And then last week, we looked at the middle unit, uh, six through 19, which is Jesus' concern for his immediate group of disciples. Obviously, they were going to go through a lot right away, and he's concerned about them and prays for them. And then we come to this last unit, uh, verses 20 to 26, and it's really quite an interesting piece because it pray, Jesus prays here for um, future believers. So he's praying for us. So this prayer that we have at the end of John 17 has you in mind, has me in mind, believers all around the world. Today, these are the ones that Jesus is praying for. So it's a special piece, quite unique, and we're invited to hear the words of Christ. And again, we looked last week and we remember that this is almost more poetry than prose and it's mystical. We need to approach it in this way so that we might be able to gain something from it. So it's a mystical passage in which Jesus prays for us. And so that's where we are going in this unit today. So we begin with Jesus' optimistic view of the future. So we have it in verse 20. I ask not only on behalf of these, that is his immediate group of disciples, 
but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. And so Jesus here is praying, as I said, for future generations of believers, for those who believe through their words. And their words means the reference to the gospel. As they promote the gospel, as they present it, which is the word of Christ, God's story in Jesus and what that means for humankind, then their mission will go well. We remember back in verse three of John 17, we had this statement, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So here's a very succinct statement on what Christ's message is. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. As we present that message, the work of the Holy Spirit will happen in our world and things will go well. Meaning it's a positive message and it assumes that the church will grow. So Jesus is speaking to these 11 disciples now and they are gonna go out into their mission and Jesus is confident in this little group, very ordinary folk, just like us, that as they present the message, what was known as the DDK, the kerygma of Christ, the message of Christ, the teaching of Christ, when they present that, things will go well, people will respond and the church will grow. That is what Jesus is saying. So it's an optimistic message. And it's not because there's anything special about us, but it's because of the power of the gospel. In our weakness, we are made strong, the language of Paul, and the gospel will do its work. It will be fruitful. So our job is to stay on track and say it, believe it, live it, and the gospel will go forward. That's where Jesus begins, an optimistic view of the future. I love the statement by John of the Cross, which is very simple. Where there is no love, put love, and you will find love. Where there is no love, Put love and you will find love. As we do that, as we present the gospel, good things will happen. Dorothy Day, who was the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in the States, 1930s, 1940s basically, was thrown in jail in New York City for uh, protesting, uh, protesting the needs of the poor and the rights of the poor. They tried to put her away. It was not a good news story. And it was interesting that while she is in jail, she, uh, it was a women's prison and she was surrounded by women who were working on the streets. And they were tough women, hard women. This is how Dorothy Day presents it. But as she is in there for over a month, she's in there in speaking with them and just being with them, what she realized from their responses was just this statement, where there is no love, put love, and you will find love. And she found that these women started to respond to her and the message of the good news, that just it took, it took this time of interaction and the hardness began to soften and people became, began to become more uh, real, more in touch with their own humanity, 
Where there is no love, put love and you will find love. So as we do that, as we do that as a church, we can have confidence that God will do his work and the church will continue to go ahead. Here we are 110 years in Weston and for another 110 years as we put forth the gospel, as we live in love, as John of the Cross is saying, we can anticipate the good news will continue to go forward and people will respond. So that's where Jesus begins in this prayer, praying for us. He moves on and he talks about a mystical union with the Godhead, which is us. So we need to pause on this a little bit, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we have that statement in verse 21, a powerful statement. And it begins with a repetition of the word one, four times one in these verses, that we as a faith community may walk together, that we may be in step together, and that we might experience oneness. So it goes back to what Jesus was saying earlier in uh, the Gospel of John. Let me just read it, John 10, verse 16, where Jesus says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. I like that. I have other sheep of other folds, and I am about to minister to them through you all around the world, all these folk of different folds, whatever that might be, different languages, different countries, different groups, people groups, that we might become one. That is the vision that Jesus has. We might work together and that we will make unity really a priority. You know, often, particularly in our age, we value being right more than we value being one. So we see that particularly in the United States right now between the Republican and the Democratic divide, but, it, but it's here in our country as well. We want to be right. And if that means division with you, I'm okay. I'm, I can accept that. But that's very different than Jesus' perspective. He wants us to be one. And at times we have to sacrifice perhaps our theology, our right theology, so that we might indeed walk and live in love. We might be one. Paul speaks the same in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6, where seven times he repeats the word one, that we might be one, that we might be one. We've lost sight of that. We want to be right more often than we want to be one. Very different than Jesus' prayer. So he prays for unity, and this comes about through this indwelling. So let's just look at verse 21, where Jesus says, NRSV, Father, that you might be in me, that I might be in you, and they, the disciples, us, may be in us. Very powerful, this circle, this divine family that we're invited to participate in. Father, you and me, I and you, that they may be in us. We, we couldn't get more of a mutual indwelling in that statement. And then it's repeated in a slightly different way in verse 23, that I might be in them, in us, 
you, Father, might be in me, and then they may be one. So the one is the, is the body of Christ. I and them, you and me, they may be in one. Those verses, verse 21, verse 23, it would do us well to just look at those verses and imagine what that means. You and me being in Christ, you and me entering into the very divine being. We are in him, in the Father, this mystical union. In the midst of all of our hassles, all of our ups and downs, all of the good things, bad things that happen in our life, Jesus is saying there's a bigger story, a much bigger story. That Jesus is in us and we are in Christ and we are in the Father and we are part of that whole divine family. That's the, that's the reality that we are to hang on to. And of course, in the midst of our problems, we forget that and we just go back to, you know, like, well, how am I gonna get through my day? And that's all that I'm concerned about. And we forget this bigger story that is real. And as we do that, as we are more and more aware of this mutual indwelling, it leads us to love. That you have loved them even as you have loved me. The Father has loved us even as the Father has loved Christ. How much does the Father love Christ? Christ, the begotten, the only begotten Son. Jesus is saying the Father loves us in the same way. So our unity leads us forward in love. Where there is no love, put love and you will find love. The unity leads us in that way. So Jesus says. So it leads us to go forward in a, in a way where we want to present the word of Christ. And so it ends with a word of witness, verse 23. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We have a job to do, and that is what? Is to live these lives of love so that the barriers might come down, the fences might come down, and that we might be an expression of the Godhead in our world, that the barriers come down. Will we respond and be open and let our love and our light shine so that Christ might be seen. I like Barclay's comments. He says, Christians will never organize their churches all the same way. They will never worship God all the same way. They will never even all believe precisely the same things. But Christian unity transcends all of these differences and joins men and women together in love. I like that middle line there. They will never even all believe precisely the same things. We don't have to be right on everything. Our job is to be one in Christ and to present his love. And as we do that, the mission goes forward. I mean, we know right now, again in the States, how much bad press the evangelical community is getting because of their political perspective. They've so aligned themselves with, with the, the right in a way that separates that, that many people just say like, wow, what's that? Evangelicals, that's, that's what they're about. 
to be one, to be one in love. That is what Jesus is saying. So he's inviting us to go that way and to witness and to share. And as we do that, we do that in hope. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. We go forward in hope. Reminds us, brings us back to John 14, 1 to 3, where Jesus says, if it were not so, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, what I've told you that I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going. We go forward in hope. We live our lives in hope, in trust, in confidence. In spite of the challenges, in spite of the toughness of the human condition, we are frail, cellular, DNA, comes apart after a lifetime. In spite of that, we go forward in hope, Jesus says. Again, we see the give language. Jesus uses that. John uses it all, all through. Those whom you have given me, those you have given me, I want with me. So Jesus wants us. He wants us to be with him. This is where Jesus ends, that they have a job and they are invited to enter into the family, the, the divine family, and we go into that relationship and then become light and love for Christ. That's where Jesus is going. He ends his prayer in verses 25 and 26, which is really a summary statement. Note, righteous Father, <clears throat> the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Now get it. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's how he concludes. So verse 26, I have made your name known. Remember last week we talked about verse 6, where it talks about Jesus making God's name known. By the way, if you're working with the NIV, the NIV does not use name in either of those verses. They go with you. But the word is name. See it in the KJV, you see it here in the NRSV. I've made your name known. I've made your character known. I've made who you are known. Jesus begins that, verse 6. He ends it here in verse 26. I've made your name, your character known. That's who you are. To be established in love. And Jesus then says, I've made that name known, your name known. May we enter into this reality of love. And Jesus concludes with these words. Here we go. This is the very end. The love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's the end. That's the end of the prayer. The love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. End. Prayer ends right there. Jesus in us, the Father in us, us in Christ, us in the Father. That's our great calling to live in this reality of love and to let it be seen. So what it means is that Jesus is there and that we bear the imprint of Jesus upon ourselves. We, we bear his name. We bear Christ in us. It's not just an idea. It's not 
something like a, you know, a cinnamon. It's, an, it's, it's, you know, sort of like that. No, no, no. We bear his name. We bear the imprint of Christ. And that's our reality. We become the image of Christ to others so that we put love where there is no love and people find love. The church is to actually be a love center. Wow. John was founding churches, and his churches were churches of love. The Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, they were known for their love, love centers. Koinonia is about love, about accepting people, about bringing down barriers, bringing down the fences, not building walls, bringing them down to let love through, to not to demand to be right at every point. No, no, no. To be one in Christ, let his love be seen, shown, and people respond and say yes. That's where Jesus is. That's where he goes in this statement, in the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 17. And I pray that we might open our hearts, open our minds, receive Christ into us, that we might become more and more love centers, you and your family, you and your church, wherever you might be. And as we do that, the world sees Christ, the world receives him, and we move forward in a way that heals the human condition. And I offer these words to you this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.